Raunchy Power Hour, a book club for discussing romance from the erotic to the erroneous. As always, this is an explicit podcast and contains strong language, adult themes, and sexual content. If you are sensitive to these things, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. This month, we are reading The Mister by E.L. James. This is part one of The Mister. This podcast will contain spoilers through chapter 16. If you want to read along with us, stop listening now. It's okay. We'll wait for you to come back. This book contains themes of abusive relationships, assault, death, and human trafficking. You have been warned. I'm your producer, Ashlyn. I'm your host, Sydney. Other one, Lauren. Now get ready to get raunchy. Sydney, I have to ask you something. And I have an answer for you, possibly. What is your favorite shade of gray? <laughs> um, let me think, let me think, let me think. Concrete, like concrete. Mm, concrete. Is it because of the coldness of Maxim Trevelyan's heart? Yes, and how? <laughs> Trying not to laugh. <laughs> Um, I love it because uh, concrete is just so strong. And you know what? We walk all over it and it's unappreciated. I admire your creativity. I think Thank my you. favorite shade of gray, and some may be as bold to say that there are 50 shades of gray. <gasps> no. Oh, yes is gunpowder. Mm, why is that, Lauren? Because there is no way in hell that Alessia is able to shoot these flying discs from such a ridiculous distance. You know what? I think that actually is a good segue, is it not, into our discussion of this month's book, The Mister by E.L. James. As a quick little introduction for everybody, E.L. James may be a common household name for you in the erotica genre, and she is often credited with the popularization and destigmatization of the erotica genre in our modern day and age of readers. But some of you may not know, she wasn't always a formally published author. In fact, E.L. James got her start with writing like maybe a lot of us. And Sid, I believe you wanted to talk about that. Um, I did. So we, um, so E.L. James, uh, which I surprisingly found out, uh, was born in London in the United Kingdom. Um, she actually attended the University of Kent, um, and she still lives there. Um, so famously, as some of you may know, or you may not know, um, the, uh, the, her claim to fame is the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. And what's really interesting about this trilogy is the fact that these books started out as a Twilight fan fiction. So <laughs> in late 2008, James actually went and saw the movie and became really intensely absorbed into the movie and the novels. Um, and... For the, the first time in her life, she really wanted to like sit down and write a book. 
Um, but she then kind of discovered this phenomenon, which was kind of bubbling around this time, uh, which is fan fiction that is now more popular now and more well known. Um, so this inspired her to publish uh, her novels on fanfiction.net under the pseudonym Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. So beginning in August of 2009, she actually began to write the Fifty Shades, Fifty Shades of Grey books. Um, originally, they were titled The Master of the Universe, which I find very interesting. Uh, so. She uploaded these stories to fanfiction.net, as I said. Then later on, when they kind of began having this cult following, she took them down and then re-uploaded them to her own website. Um, and then when they continued to become increasingly popular and she was wanting to actually form formally publish the books, she took them off of her website. Now... Listeners, there is very strict laws when it comes to uh, fan fiction and distributing it. So what James did is she changed the names of her characters from Edward Cullen to Christian Grey and Bella Swan to Anastasia Steele, which are two shades of grey, which I, I think is a funny little pun. <laughs> I want you to know that I genuinely did not know that before you just said that. And I have seen the movies and read the first book. You didn't know that was her last name? For a Virgo, I look over a lot of detail. It's really tragic. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I really think she was kind of playing into that uh, pun with Fifty Shades of Grey. So... The books, uh, the first and second book were published in 2011, and the third in the trilogy was uh, was published in the spring of 2012. And the reason she was able to really publish these so quickly was because, again, she had that basis of the fan fiction, which she had previously written. Um, so James really has spoken uh, at the shock of her success of the books. And she and in in her quotation, she said. The explosion of the interest has taken me completely by surprise. James has described the Fifty Shades trilogy as my midlife crisis um, right large. All my fantasies are in there and that's it. So kind of like going into kind of the statistics around Fifty Shades of Grey, um, it sold more than 50,000 copies in its first week on the shelves. This is talking originally about the first book in the series. And the Fifty Shades movies like the trilogy has grossed in about a third of a b -b 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 billion in the box office so that's a lot of money after a uh, such success with 50 shades of gray uh, books also james also had a sense to release gray in 2015 darker in 2017 and freed in 2021 which are basically a repackaged version of Fifty Shades of Grey, but this time we are in the perspective of Mr. Christian Grey himself. So the reason we're kind of giving all of this background is because in some aspects, the Mr., the book that we read for this month, predates Fifty Shades of Grey. So she, James has claimed that she actually started writing the books 
And she had a rough draft written, but she didn't really understand like the characters or where she wanted to take it. So as she, as the franchise of Fifty Shades was going, she came back and forth to this story. And it wasn't until 2019 when the mister was finally and unfortunately released to the public. Yes, I think unfortunate is an apt description that we will certainly unpack and get into later. But I think one of the elements of poor reception regarding the mister and what some may argue is the unfortunate element about it relates to a little bit of controversy regarding the main female lead and her origin, which happens to come from Albania. Uh, Cindy, did you want to touch on that a little bit? Uh, Yeah, I guess uh, we can really quickly talk about it. Um, So as Lauren just kind of said, our main female love interest is named uh, Elisa Dementi. We're trying to figure out how to say it. And I'm sorry for the pronunciation if I say it wrong. Alessia Um, Dimachi. Dimachi. Thank you, Ashlyn. (laughs) So it's very interesting when kind of talking about her, where she is from. Because a quote from E.L. James stated that... With Elisa, I had to go to Albania to get a better idea of what she was like and where she's from and all of that, because it's actually very difficult to find information about Albania. So I went last March and everything sort of fell into place and I was able to finish the book, which I find interesting because it feels like she did little to no research at all. Um, It felt like a lot of the phrases in which Elisa was saying Albanian phrases were very... Google Translate, because I even looked up those words. Like, for example, she says Zot a lot, which means God in Albanian, but it also can mean like Lord, leader and all of that. But it's primarily used as God. And I just feel like she just Google translated it and then just gave the worst stereotypes to Elisa and then also to um two other well three a uh, cast of other characters uh and actually i think lauren you had something that you learned about um when with the actual prime minister or president of albania that that was me i just thought it was wild <laughs> oh okay sorry yeah the albanian ambassador publicly denounced the book because it painted albania in a really negative light like talking about like how backcountry everything was. It was wild. Thank you for covering that. And I think it's a great segue into talking about more of the general public's reception for this novel. As we all know, Fifty Shades trilogy is sort of a cult classic in the erotica genre, but the Mr. Overall wasn't really met with that same reception. And for our pleasure and enjoyment, I have taken a few Goodreads reviews that I was able to find, some that were five stars, some that were one. So we're being completely fair and honest with that overall 3.3.8 rating. And for our five star, I find it very interesting that the top rater on the Goodreads for the Mister is none other than Colleen Hoover, who preemptively... Yes. 
preemptively before even opening the book and getting a copy in her hands had left a five-star review praising James's just overall talent with the erotica genre and how she was so excited to read this book because she had just like had a kid or something like that. It was a really lengthy and prosy kind of comment. And then at the end, which is important to note, and I found honestly really funny, is she said that she would promise to update her review once she had read and completed the novel and then just like never went back and did it. And all of the replies to her initial review were like, so still waiting. So who knows what her actual thoughts were. I know. Uh, One of the completed reviews for Five Star. I know, it's crazy. One of the completed reviews for Five Stars that I was able to find goes as, quote, the story had a delicious plot. Those Albanian Mm. bad guys were very good at finding people. Maybe that seemed too easy. However, the chemistry and fairly appropriate amount of buildup to intimacy and eventually to feelings dot dot dot. It had tasteful, intimate scenes that were sensitive to people who care for one another. It's a whole different vibe than the pornographic scenes of the 50 series from Karen. And for our one star review, uh, drum roll, please. Thank you. Thank you. A very quick and simple burn it TBH from Nitya. Oh, my God, that's good. Colleen was- freaking Hoover. Really? <laughs> uh, you know what? Author supporting authors. I'll give her that. I'll give her that, but... Hmm. You know what? I don't want the Colleen Hoover girlies coming after me, so I'm, I'm going to shut my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> A wise decision. Yeah. Well, I do believe that takes care of our background information. Are we ready to hop into the plot summary for The Mister? Sure. I mean, I only read this for content, honestly, because this was painful. (laughs) (laughs) And now you all get to suffer with us. So sit back, grab a glass of wine and drown in our sorrows together. Yep. So the story of the mister opens with a prologue scene where we are first introduced to our female or excuse me, our our female lead, Alessia DiMacci, through what I think It's pretty similar to a nightmare sequence. Now, a little quick background on Alessia. She is a 23-year-old undocumented immigrant who has escaped Albania and is now seeking work in London, England as a private hire housekeeper. Now, the term private hire housekeeper is actually not the term that is used to address her job title throughout the story. She's often and frequently referred to as, quote-unquote, a daily, which is, from our research, an out-of-date British colloquium that is sort of an old job title for a maid or housekeeper. Now, finding this out was surprising to both me and Sydney, since the use of an archaic word like that kind of makes it seem like James just did like basic research on British dialect. Uh, Sid in particular, I think, had a really funny experience with this discovery. So um, want to share with the class what you found out? Based off of just the couple of pages we had with characterizations with Elisa, I thought E.L. James was, I assume she was an American woman who did not know how to look up modern slang or languages in general. Just because of, uh, there's many instances in which I was like, I have never heard anyone say this, or I've never thought of a person 
saying this in a specific accent. For example, at one point, our love interest, Maxim, he uses the word dude and he is British. And I assume he has like a higher class. So I thought Maxim kind of had like this posh accent. Also, I'm apologizing to any English British listeners. I'm not going to get this accent right. And I am so sorry. But I was trying to figure out how, how he would say dude. So I just kept imagining like dude, dude, dude. This is going to be a sound bite. I'm calling it now. Dude. Watch a little bit of Love Island. <laughs> Are you my type on paper, Sydney? That's hey, Australian. You hey, you want to couple up? <laughs> well, I think it is quite funny that a British born woman uh, who you know, born and he raised there all her life. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. From, from the kingdom. She came off to readers that knew nothing of her background as someone that was almost an American cosplaying as like a British aristocracy member, which is, it was just a hilarious discovery uh, to find it out that she like was she British. Yeah. It felt like she didn't even understand the, the basic, like, I forget, I don't know what it's called. I'm sorry, everyone. But like the British hierarchy system, like. <laughs> I feel like Maxim should have been doing more and like, you know, the House of Lords and stuff. Like he was just straight chilling. <laughs> oh, we will get into that plenty. But for now. Okay. We will spend a little time with Miss Alessia Zamachi. We are introduced to her through a vague, almost nightmare sequence of her running through what appears to be a shopping mall and fleeing from this unknown and undescribed source of intense, paralyzing fear. And now Mm -hmm. I want to make a quick note of this while we're on the topic. This specific scene and just like mentions of Alessia's intense just aversion and phobia to whatever this source of her fear is will be repeated many many times throughout the novel to the point where it feels incredibly redundant. But I think it is E.L. James's attempt perhaps to hit the message home that this is something that plagues Alessia's thoughts and the way that she interacts with the world around her so much so that it's on every chapter and, you know, by result on her mind all the time. Don't Don't think think of him. him. No, no. You're here. You're safe. I just, there is, there is a way to use repetition well, but I started counting how many times she would repeat this line because I was just so over it. Like, I was just like, I get it. I know. It's also just not how someone thinks in their mind about trauma like that, you know, like that's just not how someone thinks. So I think that's what was getting on my nerves by the point that we got there. Absolutely. Well, she definitely spends a lot of time thinking about it as she is currently, uh, as we found out at this point in the story, fled to England to seek aid from this mysterious address that her Nana, who lives in Albania, sent her. At the time, we're not really certain where this address is going to lead her, but no matter, because we are going to be meeting our male romantic lead at the start of chapter one. Meet Lord Maxim Trevelyan, or as we have taken to calling him... 
It's Lord Trevothak to you, fucker. Thank you. A little fun fact and a little Easter egg for our Fifty Shades fans here in the chat. Trevelyan is actually Christian Grey's mother's maiden name, which is a direct confirmation that the plot events of the Mister do in fact take place in the same universe as the Fifty Shades trilogy. And that in some weird distant Ancestry.com tree, Maxim Trevelyan is related to Christian Grey. And oh my God, does it show they are equally as detestable. Yeah. Also, wait, spoiler alert for Fifty Shades of Grey, if you haven't read it. I think we find out that Christian Grey is adopted, isn't he? So he's not like actually blood related. Like it's his adoptive mother. Absolutely. But somehow, even through that, I guess this is a nature versus nurture conversation. They just basically are the same spitting image of each other. Yeah, the fuck boy gene don't go far. (laughs) Not at all. And speaking of the F-boy gene, uh, we first meet Maxim Trevelyan uh, as he is sleeping with his recently deceased brother's widow named Caroline. Now, during this scene, granted, we'll, we'll throw him a bone. Maxim explicitly states that both him and Caroline are aware of how wrong this tryst is and how just repeatedly tormented he is over his brother Kit's recent passing. But, you know, he's just going to deliberately no. ignore that guilt in favor of getting, you know, some action. Uh, so, Sydney, in your opinion, was this an effective opening for our male lead? How did you feel about him? Okay, so what I kind of thought was going to happen is that we were going to start off with a character who, <laughs> as a pun, was a bit morally gray. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so... I thought he, we like he's obviously grieving. He's not making the best choices. And I was like, you know what? Maybe through the love of of Elisa, Alicia, he like recognizes how bad of a, his actions are. And uh, that's kind of like what I thought the setup was. And then that wasn't it. And he just continued to be a dick the entire book. So. No, because. I was let down, honestly, because I was just like, okay, so he's just a horny guy who really needs to go and seek some therapy. Like, not sex. Therapy. Actually, that is a wonderful segue to something I wanted to bring up regarding this chapter. So literally, no exaggeration, in the span of 16 pages, Maxim beds three different women. And this is just our cold open for this character that we're supposed to deem as like attractive and like desirable. And I wanted to bring something up uh, that I I think objectively it is not far fetched to argue that Maxim probably has some sort of addiction or dependency on, you know, sexual interactions with women. And especially when you compare it to the repetitions of him almost avoiding thoughts related to Kit's passing, his brother. And Mm -hmm. again, not far-fetched to assume that this is some kind of dependency. And I think if E.L. James were to go back and write this differently, I think this narrative could actually be really impactful commentary and a way to bring awareness to, you know, addiction and how common things like this can be. But instead... Where it falls a little short in that department, to me, it reads more as showcasing Maxim's like prowess and dominant masculinity in the bedroom. And that being the intent of readers to be attracted to that, as opposed to like sending a message that, hey, 
this could be something that is damaging to your psyche. Yeah, it also feels like a bit of a commentary on like toxic masculinity. And then it just isn't that. And I just wasn't. I'm just I just was not interested in that. I don't like that personally. That's just my preference. Yeah, that is absolutely valid. But you want to know what Maxim's day to day preference is? (laughs) Tell me. As he says himself, he likes to stay fit by, quote, running, screwing and fencing. Three of (laughs) the most necessity basics in your lifetime to stay fit, of course. And upon his brother's death, really the only other thing of value that we learn from him in this first chapter is that he has now inherited his family's estate and has assumed the title of, and I quote, Lord of Trevathick, which is (laughs) such a great Twitter handle. I really think she was just trying to do a, a dick joke. Like, I truly think that. Because it's too well, ridiculous. If she didn't, I'm about to make a lot of them. So strap in. <laughs> but umps. And that brings us to chapter two. We then switch perspectives back to Alessia, who is now beginning her work as a quote unquote daily. So we see her entering a very lavish apartment overlooking the Thames River. A lot of this chapter is describing what this apartment looks like. So we're taken around these lavish rooms where we see like a spare, presumably like closet or room that remains locked. We see, you know, peering into just the fineries of this apartment. And one of the things that she highlights is this big grand piano that sits in the foyer and basically just thinks a lot about how she is a skilled piano player and considers playing the piano, but then just doesn't because apparently this is supposed to be a plot point that we are strung along for the book that keeps us enticed into Alessia as a character, but inevitably will just fall flat on its face later, but it's fine. Um, You're really good at playing music. Exactly, (laughs) romance. No. Speaking of falling flat, um, you know what she finds in the master bedroom? <laughs> she walks in and sees Maxim butt up naked on his bed. With, and we get a wonderful detailed description of his Trevor thick cheeks. <laughs> now, mind you, a lot of content happens in this book that we're going to try and speed through. A lot happens and then nothing happens at the same time. But in the span of this same chapter, bear in mind that Maxim and Caroline, as a reminder for listeners, is the widow of his deceased brother. Uh, have a so his sister-in-law. The- it is his sister-in-law. Yes. Yes, uh, Maxim and his sister-in-law, Caroline, for sure, uh, have a meetup at the Trevelyan estate in which Caroline reveals that Kit left absolutely nothing for her in his will and swiftly follows this up by just a surprise, I'm pregnant announcement. And this is basically just insinuated that this kid might belong to Maxim and this may be her end to like inherit the estate, even though she was left out of the will. Uh, Somebody cue gold digger. Sydney saying things that she shouldn't be saying. And now we're able to come back in. (laughs) Censor this out, Ashley. Not only is he (laughs) anti-Semitic as hell, it's also copyrighted. Damn. Take it out then. I didn't know he was (laughs) anti-Semitic. I'd love to see it. I got a whole song canceled in the single podcast. Um... (laughs) Now, moving on to chapter three, uh, there is, I'm going to be real, not much to say about this chapter. It's mostly just more inner monologuing drivel from Maxim about inheriting the estate, lamenting more about his brother's death, and, you know, even just the occasional and not unexpected, but disappointing sprinkle of fat phobia. What a stud. Mm, I'm 
so interested. I know. Such a Princess Charming. Am I right? No. Um, he takes home a woman that same night uh, named Letitia. And I kid you not, is then freaked out by her desire for scratching in the bedroom and has to then use bondage as a literal, quote unquote, self-defense tool. Uh, and to that, I want to just say, is vanilla too spicy for you, Lord Trevor Thick? <laughs> now, Sydney, yeah. I do have to ask you. Um this is probably arguably the most like spicy scene in the entire novel. Um, but to me, it mm-hmm. reads like we're really not supposed to enjoy it as readers purely because of Maxim's like severe aversion and apprehension to having a more dominant woman. Like, how did you feel about this scene? So I, I kind of felt like he just felt like it was an attack on his masculinity in a way. Cause he was just like, Oh, this lady is trying to control things. Um, but yeah, I was just like, okay, so this is like as spicy as like, uh, maybe two shakes of pep- pepper. Like it is not spicy in any way, shape or form. <laughs> there's not even, there's not even garlic powder in this. Y'all, it is so vanilla. And this will just be commentary on the rest of the erotica throughout this book. So kind of as Lauren kind of talked about with the Goodreads quote. Uh, with that review, because someone said it would just Fifty Shades was too, too erotic and like too crazy. This is the most vanilla. Like erotica, I think I've ever read it. It, it just it was. It wasn't worth the 500 pages I had to read to get to vanilla sex. It just wasn't worth it. No, I could go on Wattpad right now and pull up a story by like something I wrote in high school and would be more sweaty and blushing than what we read in this story, I would argue. Wattpad users are top tier sometimes in some of the nastiest, nastiest things that can be written. Y'all is down and dirty in Wattpad land. Go take a visit. (laughs) Actually, maybe don't. (laughs) Viewer discretion is advised again. Viewers, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I just, I don't know. It felt like he just wasn't, like, I don't know. I get that he wasn't interested, but he also, that's his type, you know? And it kind Mm -hmm. of then sets up why he's interested in Elisa, but I didn't, we'll talk about a little bit more about this later, but uh, it's just the chemistry between our two main love interests. Which is nothing. It gives nothing. I don't understand why they're interested in each other. And that is a brilliant segue, actually, into chapter four, where our lovebirds finally meet for the first time. Thank you. So the morning after his night with Letitia, Maxim meets Alessia and just is instantly smitten with her. Now, I'm pretty confident we never get an answer definitively for why he's so instantly attracted to her other than just the natural assumption that she is someone that is objectively very good looking and, you know, nice. But when you're given a character like Maxim, who at this point in the story, which we're very early on, has gored, for lack of a better term, in his words, with four different women, and there is just no basis for chemistry between him and Alessia, I just feel like this is incredibly unconvincing for a whirlwind-type romance. Exactly. And in the way that the author also describes 
uh, Alicia, I'm going to struggle saying her name this entire time. And I, and I apologize listeners, but the way the author describes her is like a shivering wet chihuahua, like just terrified of the world around her, which honestly makes sense uh, considering what just recently happened to her. And Maxim is instantly like boner city. Like this is, this is amazing. This girl, like, damn, I, I want a bone. I'm taking it down to bone town, bruv. Ew. (laughs) You may, you may have given me a physical boner, but you also gave me the boner of the heart. (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) Is this love was the boner of the heart? feel like i'm sorry everyone i'm just basing a lot of my british accent off of austin powers too which i know is not accurate (laughs) well apparently the only basis of chemistry and interest we see from maxim in this chapter is he just basically asks a lot of questions of her just like wanting to know who she is or his usual daily is blah 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 real interesting dialogue am i right um basically i think my my personal opinion on why he goes after Alessia and finds her so attractive is literally just the fact that she is very reserved. She's pretty much silent to his questions. She doesn't really answer or acknowledge them a whole lot. And I just want to think, you know, I just think it really spurs on the Trevor Thick dick, you know? Um, yeah. But in general, <laughs> the rest of the chapter just goes on with, well, drivel, I guess is the best word to put it. Um, he releases some Trevelyan testosterone on a workout session. You know, she thinks a little bit more about playing the piano that she doesn't play for several more chapters, you know, real classic romance stuff. But that takes us to chapter five, which very similarly is a back and forth pining, mutual pining, AO3 tag between Maxim and Alessia without (laughs) much plot development. And honestly, listeners, I don't feel like wasting my precious oxygen on describing their boring dialogue alessia's granny panties that apparently get maxim all excited and weird text <laughs> whining panties <laughs> it's literally wretched. he describes them as the biggest set listeners he literally describes it as the biggest set of knickers he's ever seen on a woman and i i had to stop i had to put the book down i had to because i was just like i am so confused like wh- what <laughs> He really took the whole thing of like, you know, when you're a kid and you like get under that huge parachute with the rainbow colors for playtime. He really took that to heart and said, I like my pants like parachutes. (laughs) No, literally, there's so much of that. And then not to mention, there's like this weird texting from Caroline. It just reminds me of like the way that we would all use emoticons on like old Tumblr blogs to seem fun, cute and quirky. Um. So, you know, enough about that. We're going to move on to chapter six to even more of Caroline's whining. Um, basically, Maxim returns home to his apartment from, I don't know, Lord business and finds Caroline <laughs> just standing in the kitchen in his shirt. Uh, how she got in his apartment, I don't know, but he should really get his keys or his locks rekeyed. Um, Caroline met Alessia, apparently in his absence. And of course, this gives Alessia like the wrong impression of Caroline and Maxim's relationship, because, of course, E.L. James needed some kind of tension to happen and a reason to delay the oncoming romance. And surprise, surprise, no reason. (laughs) Like, exactly. (laughs) And surprise, surprise, in this same chapter and bear in mind, listeners, only a few chapters ago, she said that she was pregnant, now reveals that she is not pregnant with another Trevelyan menace. So 
We're spared in that department. Um, and finally, what you have all been waiting for, listeners, I know you've been on the edge of your seat. Alessia finally, finally plays the piano. I know. I know. I was shocked. Um, and it's about as lackluster of reveals we thought it would be. Um, but apparently it's so vulnerable of an experience to her that she literally leaves the apartment and her boots behind. Like if Cinderella were told at the speed of watching grass grow. <laughs> as you can tell, I'm angry. Um, so now we're moving on to probably what you all actually have been waiting for, which is their first kiss. So in chapter seven, Lord Trevor that goes around just, you know, I don't know, doing Lord business. He kind of just like stands around at his different properties and just says, yay and nay, I am the spare. Um, really oh, enticing. Kit, why did you have to die? I know. Why do I have to fill the void with every woman I come across on the street? Oh, yeah. Terrible. Um, he bounces between his estates, blah, blah, blah. Basically, he returns to his apartment where Alessia is attending to her daily, daily duties <laughs> um, and, and finds Maxim tuckered out on the couch from spent from all of his lordly business. Now, I want to take a second to just really dissect what happens next for you all. Um, a little tragic fact about me is that I was and still am, unfortunately, a fan fiction author. It is a fatal flaw. I am keenly aware. But I bring this up because I am personally very familiar with the tropes of like typical mutual pining, slow burn stories like the mister. And it is at this scene where E.L. James's pass as a fan fiction author just really shows to me because instead of just delivering mm -hmm. a normal kissing scene, she decides to have Lord Trevor Thick in his sleep, mind you, just pull Alessia to him somehow, just like unconsciously. Don't ask me how that happens. And then <laughs> in this like spider web tangle grip, Alessia thinks it's the perfect time to kiss him because we all love kissing stone cold statues. Love it. Now, Sydney, as far as first, first kiss scenes go, how would you rate this one on a scale of one to ten? Um, can I give it a zero? Is that on the scale? No, but I'll make an exception for you. Oh, thank you. So the reason I say zero is because it doesn't fucking count. You have to have another person awake to have a kiss. Like this, I'm just imagining her leaning over and his mouth is like slightly open and you just hear. <laughs> How did that sound like a pug? <laughs> Woof. Um, but just him snoring with like his mouth slightly open. And I'm like, I don't know why you would think, yeah, this is the perfect moment. Let me just go give him a real quick. Like it just, it didn't, it doesn't count. Like this is not, this is in no way. I think the romantic secret kiss that I think she was trying to go for, but like, it just, it didn't make any sense. No, not at all. My only guess is that she just like in her nature being reserved and shy around men in general, but particularly, I guess, like Maxim, maybe took that opportunity as like a way to like kiss him without like repercussions or facing social rejection. But also, I just like to believe that this was E.L. James's idea of like top tier romance of like this is as hot and wild as it gets. Um, and I'm going to yeah. stick with that theory. Yeah, it just, it didn't make any sense. And again, listeners, this is so fucking vanilla. Like, oh my God. Like we, for context, by this point in the book, 
We are over a hundred pages in. I there's no chemistry in between our two main characters. And this is their first kiss. I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I don't see any of the romance or the heat. Like there's nothing. Yeah, it's like if you went on Hot Ones and then took the first uh, spicy sauce that they offer you on their wings, but instead of the spicy sauce, you filled it with milk and a dash of Tabasco. Exactly. Or it was just ranch. It's just ranch. (laughs) Just ranch. It's just ranch. Oh, well, speaking of utter confusion and ranch, I don't, there's actually no (laughs) relativity to ranch. I just wanted to segue. I have given this chapter eight an alternative title um, for all of your (laughs) listening enjoyments called, Oh my God, what the actual F is happening. Please help me. Um, A lot happens in this chapter. So brace yourself. Um, The first being that Alessia returns back to her place of residence uh, after her daily duties, only to discover that an officer from immigration services has apparently stopped by to look for her. And it's then when we see like yet another like vague flashback, nightmare sequence, allusion to her fears of, you know, whatever waits for her in Albania before readers are then thrown into the most jarring. How should I put this? One handed tango. The solo salsa, DJ time, if you catch my drift. Um, And we get a page long description of her thinking of Maxim's, you know, Trevor thick cheeks. Um, (laughs) It's it's interesting to say the least, and it's a wild roller coaster to go on. Uh, And again, in that same chapter, Alessia and Maxim, I guess they meet up at a later point. Doesn't matter. They end up in the dark room within his apartment where he like takes pictures and like develops them. Uh, And he takes a picture of her in this dark room and then they kiss consensually this time. Um, Yeah, this was arguably. Sorry, I was just thinking. How how would you take a photo in a dark room? It's a f- camera. You need light to then go into the film. If you're in a dark room. Also, wouldn't that ruin if you had a flash on, ruin all the other film that you were you were you were then using? I took one from trying to process in college. <laughs> Yeah, I I took one photography class in college, so I know a semester's worth of knowledge. I mean, realistically, you could also probably just do a quick Google search of like, can you take flash photography in a dark room? And I bet that would have given some kind of answer. I think Ashland is on it. I see her typing. Um, Well, the answer is no, because like if you have (laughs) film developing, it'll literally ruin the film. I'm pausing for producer conclusion. <sighs> producer conclusion is yes? Question mark? <laughs> you can take pictures in a dark room, but it's more like pictures in a dark room. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, rather than taking pictures in a light room, you take them in a dark room. So are you talking about like red light or just like lights are off dark room? The first rule of dark room is make sure no white light is brought into the room. No phones and no flash photography. Nothing glow up and never turn on the lights without permission. Yeah, that's like literally dark room etiquette number one. That's what you learn. All his pictures for her. 
He took oh. out his like like diamond encrusted iPhone and took a picture of the darkness and said, you look so beautiful tonight, baby girl. <laughs> That's awful. I'm cringing. I'm, oh, thank you. Oh. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Apparently he's got this picture. He's going to make it his lock screen. It's just going to be a black screen, whatever. But they're unfortunately interrupted in their smoochy smooch um, because two definitely not immigration officers uh, show up at Maxim's apartment in search of Alessia. Now, it's a very it's supposed to be, I think, a very tense scene where, you know, Maxim is like visibly confused but like trying to like dismiss them but i think the tension is blown out like a hot air balloon for me because we we then see alessia literally like hightailing fleeing through what i think is the fire escape basically the back door and it's just the most hilarious matrix-esque desperation to escape that i've ever seen but then she goes back upstairs she goes back upstairs it's literally pointless exactly exactly yeah she like um, goes back upstairs to to peek it and then she's like no too scared i gotta go check in on my homies that live at my place of residence i gotta hightail it across london hop on a train and go all the way back to my place make sure everything's okay it's just it really feels yeah. nonsensical i think is the best way yeah. to put it yeah also listeners this is where we get a very iconic line which audibly made me laugh out loud and is what I referenced at the beginning of this podcast because one of these quote-unquote um officers said says mister and in Maxim's mind he goes it's travel fact to you fucker <laughs> it's lost travel fact to you <laughs> It really just matching up with the whole like devastating prowess that this man has in the bedroom. Yeah. Uh, well, moving on from this weird little like matrix scene, um, Maxim then is it like departs his place basically in search of Alessia where she has disappeared. As it turns out, she has fled to the train station, uh, like I mentioned, to go back home and check on the folks that are currently living with her and her place of residence, Magda and Mikal. I believe is the pronunciation. Um, she goes to check on them. I thought, Michael. <laughs> I thought it was just Michael. I'll be honest with you. I was like, oh yeah, Michael. We will we'll guess Mikal for now. But okay. basically, long story short, Maxim puts two and two together, figures out that the men that were at his apartment were not indeed from immigration, goes, oh my lord, something's amiss. He doesn't say that, but he pulls up his knickers <laughs> and races off to find Alessia. Um, Sometime, like somehow intercepts her at the train station. And it's a really interesting and awkward moment, especially when you consider that this novel is, I guess, technically supposed to be a slow burn. And yet he has smooched her approximately 30 minutes ago. And that's a generous estimate. And then proceeds to call her baby. I don't I would personally be so weirded out if anyone called me that with such limited progression. I don't know about you, Sydney. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, I think he was just trying to be like, oh, yeah, it's a term of endearment. Be like, oh, oh, baby, like, you know, it's so hard. Like, what are you going through? What's happened? But at the same time, I'm like, we'll we'll talk more about this in certain scenes, but it kind of feels like a lot of the time Maxim treats 
Alicia as a child. And it's really gross, but that's kind of where I'll end that thought for now. And then I'll go more in depth later. Yeah, we'll definitely acknowledge that as we move forward. Um, Another thing that we do want to acknowledge, uh, we would love to take this time to obviously kind of explain what is going on with Alessia. Um, It is in this chapter that Maxim finds out that Alessia has been a victim of human trafficking and basically escaped um, capture from these traffickers uh, while in England, was able to escape before any physical harm could come to her. And that's kind of how she found herself in this current predicament. Now, Obviously, uh, human trafficking is an incredibly sensitive topic matter, and I wanted to give a quick signal boost for this human trafficking organization that I found called the Blue Campaign. It's basically an organization that not only provides a lot of like hotlines and resources and services regarding like protecting against and preventing human trafficking that occurs everywhere. It's horribly widespread. It also gives a lot of signs to look out for if you are a bystander to witnessing such an event, things to pick up on, uh, ways to contact authority members if you do think you see something. So we wanted to give a signal boost to that organization and connect folks to resources should they need them. But promptly and swiftly moving on from that topic. uh, To wrap up chapter nine, This chapter to me was the beginning of a new relationship dynamic between Maxim and Alessia, because in the coming chapters, spoiler alert, we see that she repeatedly laments about how now she feels indebted to Maxim for not only giving her her position as a daily, but now for whisking her off to hit one of his rich estates in Cornwall for protection. He also provides like security detail for the folks living at her place of residence, Magna and McCall. And in the coming chapters, we'll proceed to like shower her with, I would argue, unnecessary luxury items as a way to seemingly like buy her affection and comfort her in this troubling time. Uh, in your mm-hmm. opinion, Sydney, did this come off to you as like romantic and excessive gift giving or was this more the beginnings of a potential power play from Maxim? It definitely feels like a power play. This, it definitely felt like he obviously listeners just as uh, so you know we're jumping in between uh points of view throughout this entire book so we're going from maxim to alicia and it's very chaotic but we know what his feelings are towards alicia however it feels like he's doing it out of a place of heart but as he comes from a place of privilege he does not understand why she feels uncomfortable because she does say multiple times like she wants to like pay him back and she wants to do this and this and this, but he won't let her, which obviously she can't because she has no money, but it felt very much like love bombing. Like he was doing it to kind of show his affection through his wealth and through the gifts he could give her. Um, but it also did feel like he was genuinely trying to help in a way, but also just because he was just like, well, I have to help her because she's so attractive and I'm in love with her kind of thing. Absolutely. I want to give E.L. James credit to, especially based on the fact that I have like seen Christian Grey in the Fifty Shades trilogy. I do believe that mm-hmm. was not her intention. I do think she just likes the idea or the trope of like a dominant, affluent man just kind of like sweeping a you know, a girl off of her feet to show her and give her the world, kind of like a, an Aladdin, like magic carpet type deal, I guess. But yeah. I think when you're dealing with a situation where one of your leads in this romantic 
relationship is suffering from a very horrific trauma and still trying to navigate and overcome that in her romantic relationships, I think it could easily be read and interpreted as almost a buying her affection and taking advantage of her like lack of resources. 100%. And I think also what plays into this, and I know in Fifty Shades that at some point, I think Christian Grey becomes Anastasia's boss, but like it, it, it's inappropriate in the sense also that Maxim is Alicia's boss. Like there's already that, that dynamic in place. And Alicia even thinks about it at times. She goes, oh no, I'm going to lose my job. And I don't have any other source of income. So she feels obligated to because she's like, well, I need this job. Like, I literally cannot work anywhere else. Absolutely. And I think moving on to another problematic aspect of their relationship that readers may identify. Maxim, in this next chapter, in chapter 10, has a moment where he considers asking Alessia about her trauma who those men were, what her experience was, like having been trafficked, and ultimately decides against it because, and I basically quote, he decides that he doesn't want to find out about any kind of potential fear of men that she may have as a result of this trauma because it Mm -hmm. literally may deter their romantic relationship and subsequently his ability to sleep with her, which honestly just made me a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, it's disgusting. It made made me very uncomfortable about this dynamic. And I don't know. I I feel like it sheds a poor light on Maxim that goes far beyond just like our joking casual dislike of him thus far. And a Mm -hmm. realm that makes me feel like he is very clearly taking advantage of this girl. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, for context, listeners, again. So I really do not find maxim like attractive i really don't understand the the appeal as maxim as a love interest i honestly do not because he feels very predatory and very just just an overall not nice guy and i will say it again maxim could benefit from some intense intense therapy absolutely But he doesn't get any, uh, at least in chapters 10 through 12. Um, The reason I'm actually compiling these together is because a whole lot of nothing happens. I'm not even kidding. They are at this estate in Cornwall. He takes her shopping. He repeatedly thinks about all the ways in which he wants to like bed her down. And like, it's it's very repetitive. And I feel like a lot happens and also not a lot. I feel like we will say that a lot in this podcast recording. But one of the things to note from chapter 12 specifically is... Mm -hmm. They do touch a little bit on some of Maxim Trevelyan's trauma and his backstory. Uh, Basically, he he had a thing where like his father took him at a high school age to a brothel or something like that. And obviously Mm -hmm. he has that trauma following up with his brother's recent like passing away and having to like step up as the family head and a lot of like masculinity, internalized misogyny type thing going on. But something to draw connections to the Fifty Shades series is that Maxim Trevelyan's parental trauma here is incredibly similar to Christian Gray's. And I was wondering for Sydney, of course, but also any listeners that may be tuning in, do you think this is coincidental or was this intentional world building to draw more parallels between this universe and Fifty Shades? And mm. also too, to know, is this just a consistent theme with just like wanting to pop cherries? Yeah. 
Um, so I have so I have not read any Fifty Shades of Grey, like none of it. Um, I know some bits of the movies, just like bits and pieces that I've seen, but nothing crazy. So I don't know much about the dynamic of Christian and his family. I know it's something traumatic and I know there's a lot of things going on. Um, but I, I honestly do think there are probably, I think there's a lot of similarities in what, what E.L. James was writing during the beginning stages of the Mr. and Fifty Shades of Grey back in her fan fiction days. And she drew parallels in her own universe because she was like maybe trying it out in the Mister or in Fifty Shades at the time and applying those to each other. And I think they just kind of stuck, you know, um, or it could be that she's trying to bring up this family connection in a way to be like, oh, yeah, they're both rich guys and they're both fucked up by their families. Absolutely. I think it's a very interesting trope to play with and to explore and i'm sure there's a you could write like a whole essay on the traumatic and psychological implications of some of these men and these power dynamics but to kind of take us home here for chapters 13 through 16 again same ordeal kind of a whole lot of nothing uh, except for one part mm-hmm. where oh, in chapter 14 yeah. after maxim has like finally talked about his dead brother kit with alessia again she plays the piano and it's a whole you know wow kind of moment of emotional vulnerability they are sitting in this estate in cornwall and alessia i just made the connection that alessia is play is playing the piano like edward did in twilight (gasps) i just i just made that connection (laughs) no you're right though Debussy. One minute. Does, does does Christian Grey also play piano in Fifty Shades of Grey? I want to say there was definitely a piano at his like penthouse estate. Ashlyn hmm, definitely double checked. Hmm. So interesting. Seems like E.L. James was a little bit more like than inspired by Twilight. Seems like she may have ripped a couple things out of there. Okay, so to be clear, I have not seen Fifty Shades of Grey other than, like, clips of it. Um, And I know for a fact there is a scene where Anastasia comes in and he's playing piano. I know for a fact there is. Yeah. Um, Yes, he plays piano in the movies. So the quote is, I hear the music, the lilting notes of the piano, a sad, sweet lament. Christian is at the piano, completely lost in the music he's playing. Hmm. Interesting. That's all I have to say. I. Maybe she had a Mozart kink. I don't know. I just. It's fine. Whatever. I personally, I love music, right? I'm a band nerd, everything. I've never heard music that makes me unpack my own trauma about my deceased brother. I don't have that trauma, but if I did, (laughs) I would not be so inspired by this random woman's piano playing after a really just weird shopping spree montage to the point where I'm crying about my brother's trauma. And then as if that wasn't already like an emotional upheaval enough, they then get raunchy. For the first time 
this entire book. And I, I feel the need yeah. to tell listeners this is on page 70. Page 70. I'm fairly isn't certain. It two, it's on 270, isn't it? Oh, my God. Really? Yeah, it's on 207. Like, it's nearly halfway through the book. Clearly, my brain has deleted so much content from this <laughs> novel, despite having read it twice, that I just decided 200 pages of content don't exist. Yeah, like, it also, a quick note to listeners. Um, so from this point, by the way, we discover that Alicia is also a virgin. And there's this... A truly disgusting thought that goes through Maxim's head when he finds this out. And he, and I quote, I'm not kidding when I say this. He literally says in his brain that he's like, oh, well, I'm not really interested in virgins because, you know, they're not experienced. But, you know, someone has to break them in. And why, and why isn't it me? Why don't I do it, basically? I nearly threw the book across the room because I was so disgusted. Like I was so I was so disgusted by it. And yes, if you are a fan of this book and you remember the next line after it, which is when he goes, no, I shouldn't think that. I don't care that he thinks it's, it's wrong for that to pop into his head. He should not have been having that thought in the fucking first place. It is so disgusting. And honestly, this is when I lost all hope for a, uh, a, like, redemption. Maxim, yeah, a redemption. Thank you. I could not think of that word. Like, I got you. He, he was not going to have his Taylor Swift redemption era. He was not going to do it. No, it wasn't going to really happen. sat here. He said, teehee, Freudian slip. I'm never going to heal. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, my God, this man needs therapy, not fucking sex. He needs to stop having sex and he needs to go understand his own trauma and his own misogyny towards women, because I don't know where the fuck he learned it from. Unfortunately, he doesn't take your advice, your very sound and sage advice. Uh, and he does just need to to do the boink with yeah. Alessia. Would you like to talk about how this lackluster vanilla scene went? They didn't dictionary. That was it. Um, he did like pleasure her, which I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, but I just also didn't like the descriptions behind her losing her virginity and how she described it afterwards. Because okay, so for all listeners here too, virginity is just a made-up concept to basically put women in this spot like virginity is not a real concept it does not exist it is just something that society made up so the way she describes it is like yes um my mom told me it was gonna hurt the first time but it truly didn't and i would i don't like that trope like where it's just, it's hard to explain, but I don't like the trope where because they're in love the first time doesn't hurt or, and stuff like that. I just, I don't like it. 
And it's just, it's really kind of gross to me. And the whole scene, I was just like, this just doesn't make any sense. Like, I really don't understand why these two characters are so horny for each other. I don't get it. Like, I don't understand the, the attraction. Apparently, one Goodreads review uh, said it was like a, it was like scenes for people that truly care for one another. But like, there's no foundation of chemistry for me to even reasonably believe that they care about each other, at least in a long jeopardy. They know context. each other. Exactly. It's been a few days. Ugh. And like, I, like, I don't think they care about each other. Like, I had no indication that he truly cared about her other than like wanting to get into her pants. Or her giant knickers, pink knickers, as she as he brought up earlier. God. Yeah, well, honestly, the more we talk about this scene, I feel like the more heated you and I are going to get. And there is plenty of rage to cover when we talk about part two of the mister. So I will go ahead and take us home now <laughs> for the final two chapters of this part, 15 and 16. Not much happens. Take a shot every time I've said that. Uh, Maxim basically <laughs> just like has a crisis about this very like vanilla scene because I guess it was just like so mind blowing enough to where he's like, I now have to reevaluate my life choices. Um, and so they play I chess. Have to boner. That. I have a heart boner. I have a heart boner. He has a heart boner and then he plays chess to like fix it. Um, and then Alessia wins by a landslide, which as a quick note is interesting because up until this point in the story she has repeatedly described her like growing up in albania as like mildly oppressive it's not direct words but it's very much the impression you get as a reader the environment was very harsh and unsupportive of like her creative expression and just like general rates as a person and it's just weird to me that she would be and so naturally gifted yes exactly yeah. it, it's odd to me that she would be so naturally gifted with things like piano and chess which are activities that require a lot of practice right and like room for creative expression so it just feels very inconsistent to me uh, that she just is subtly mm -hmm. like a prodigy at these things. But yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, she's actually incredibly intelligent. I'm like, I, he, I would not have known that. <laughs> like <laughs> she, her characterization throughout most of the book is like someone who is experiencing the world for the first time. Like it is a baby in an adult's body. Like, for example, this was back a couple chapters when uh, Sheen Maxim were traveling to his estate and they were at a gas station and he pulls out his credit card and she literally says, your card is magic. Talking about his credit card. And I think it was more meant to be like a term of endearment and like how amazed she is by like how much wealth he has but it just felt like she was just she didn't know about credit cards like she was just like i'm new to this concept what what's a what's a credit card and for the record they do have credit cards in albania in case you were wondering yes yeah I know. you you understand now why uh the president of albania talked about this book and just prime minister I'm getting head shakes from Ashlyn. It's a prime minister. Ambassador. Ambassador. My bad, everyone. Ambassador. Obviously, I don't know world leader terms. Um, <laughs> Neither does Max but, Trevelyan. It's okay. No, and he's a lord, so. 
Again, I feel like he should be doing more lordy things, and he's just like, la 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 la. <laughs> yeah, that's basically kind of the gist of these two as characters. They boink, don't really have any chemistry. One of them's good at chess, the other's good at just being a d bag. Uh, and we end this part of the mister by, of course, a shopping spree. And Maxim now having an internal crisis once again, as he has to unpack and assess his feelings for Miss Alessia Damachi. And I believe that concludes our plot summary and analysis for part one. Ashlyn, I believe you had some questions that you would like to ask us. I would love to ask you guys some questions. I'd love to give some answers. So one of the first things that like pops up in the book is one, the word repetition, and then two, the excess Albanian from Alessia. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the Albanian add-ins? Did you translate any of them? And do you think they were necessary for understanding like Alessia's character in any way? Oh, good question. I can take this one first if you if you want me to. Go ahead. I so I did actually translate uh, at least one of the lines towards the beginning. There is a part where she is like looking out at the sea and she says, and I quote, Deti, Deti, the sea. And it's like an exclamatory, uh, you know, sentence that she gives. And when you run that into a translating engine, you basically oh, no. get that it says give or take as salt water, salt water, the sea, which I guess. <laughs> oh, no. If you want to be generous, and, I, and I'm trying to be, if you want to be generous, you could think like, oh, maybe that is her just like being bilingual, thinking and processing things first in Albanian and then processing in English. Again, that is a stretch and I'm being very generous because <laughs> I don't want to say that this was just shoved into Google Translate without any forethought or intention. But Sydney, what were your thoughts? I think. I think phrases were just thrown into Google Translate and then put onto the page. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think it was a poor representation and just an unneeded like characteristic. I do not think Elisa had to be Albanian. And I think the this book would have been better had it not been. But I think the author was just like wanting to like add a little bit of spice or something to her own character. And I just, I also did a little Google translating and everything just, it it didn't make any sense. It was very basic elementary Google translated Albanian. And yeah, I just, I think it was not well done whatsoever. Another huge critique we had while reading this book was the POV switching, the weird pacing and time skips. Like, I didn't realize this was what the problem was until I read, like, another person talking about it. But the POV changes from first person to third person, depending on who's talking. Oh, my God, you're right. How do you guys feel about the inconsistency with with POV? Oh... Okay, I'm passionate about this um, because this book needed to be edited so much more than it was. And I hated the switching of the POVs. And I didn't realize, you know what, now that you bring it up, that makes so much more sense of why I hated it every single time it switched because it didn't make any sense. And also, 
for context, in the book, the only way you know they're switching POVs is by, like, it'll be a separate paragraph from where they started. So it's not like by chapter. It's not very clear. Like, it's not a large letter to indicate that you're going into a different POV. No, it literally jumps to a different, it's just a change in a paragraph. So you, it's very hard to recognize when they're also switching their point of views. And I think another disservice that this gives on Alessia's part, who I believe Alessia was primarily the third person perspective and Maxim was the first person. I think because Mm -hmm. of that, we naturally get a lot more of Maxim's like inner dialogue, his personality, some of like you know, unique phrases that he used, ways is that he, ways that he perceives and interacts with the world. But Alessia is kind of limited in this third person realm where we are told that she's doing this. We're told that she's thinking this. And I think by and large, that limits how much access we have to her personality and basically just makes Maxim seem much more fleshed out. Whereas Alessia has pretty much been reduced to what we're told, which is a trafficking victim from Albania who plays the piano. You know what? And that would make sense of the quote earlier from E.L. James talking about how she couldn't quite figure out (laughs) Alicia and how she was like, oh, Albanian. I think that makes sense. So honestly, you bring that up actually brings that up and makes a lot more sense. Absolutely. Because the country we come from is our only defining personality trait. Well, of course. America. (laughs) So before I ask you for your kind of midway through rating, I want to know if either of you are rooting even a little bit for Alessia and Maxim. No. No. (laughs) No. No. Honestly, I want Alicia to go find a new job. Um I don't yeah. I'm rooting for her to not have to interact with a man ever, ever again, because all of the men in this story are awful, objectively. There's not a single good one. I'm rooting for Maxim to go to therapy (laughs) and get checked into a mental hospital. I'll give him a voucher. And what is your midway rating? Out of one through five? Sure. Uh, one, because that's the lowest I can go. You know, but we're going to spice it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. On a scale of one to 50 shades of gray, mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a 3.5 for charcoal. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. If we're going on a 50 shades of gray scale, I'm going <laughs> to... You did 3.5. I'm going to do, I'm still going to stick with my one, but it's obsidian black. <laughs> mm. Sound choice. No, no penetration. Just like Alessia no. Maxim should. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they both need to go to therapy so bad. Like, oh my God. But will they go in part two? Stick around to Ooh. find out. <laughs> Join us in two weeks for our next episode of The Mister, where we will discuss our final thoughts on the book. 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Raunchy Power Hour. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at the RPH Podcast. Send us book recs to our email, raunchypowerhour at gmail.com or at the link in our bio on any of our socials. As always, stay raunchy. Stay raunchy.